The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, I get a message. My phone, my phone was upstairs, so I went upstairs, had a look, and the NHS here in the UK, and it was like you tested positive for COVID. And I was like, I fucking knew it. I, I kind of, you know, when you just get a feeling. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Insulone Podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And again, we are going to try and redefine diabetes as we do every week. I hope you're keeping well. I hope your week is going well for you. Today, I have a guest on. And this one was a very, very enjoyable podcast to record. They all are, I have to say. But this one in particular had a different sort of energy, and it was very, very, very enjoyable to record. So the guest I had, his name is Tom Allison, and he's Type1Tom on Instagram. If you do not follow him yet, definitely follow him, okay? You'll thank me after you do. He is a Type 1 diabetic. He has been for 13-odd years. He is a personal trainer and online coach, and he is also the host of the Type 1 Movement Podcast, which is also a Type 1 diabetic podcast. If you haven't listened to the podcast, definitely check it out after this one. Thank me later. It's a great podcast. Do not stop listening to my podcast, <laughs> but give Tom's a listen. It's great. He always gives out very, very informative and valuable content. So me and Tom have been connected online for a good time now. And I have to say is one of my favorite diabetic social media accounts to follow because he has great energy, as you'll see in the podcast. He gives out amazing content. He really knows his stuff. He's massively passionate about diabetes, as we all are. And what I also love about him is he's so honest with his posts. And if you read through his account, you'll see that. And you'll see that in this podcast. He opens up about certain things, gives his insights, gives his opinions, his thoughts, his mindset around certain aspects of his life and his diabetes. So I personally appreciate his honesty around it, and I'm sure you will too, and you're going to get a lot from this episode. So just before 
we we jump into it i'll have to say that tom uses more curse words than i do now i i've nothing against it it's part of his energy and it's great and i love it but just warning you in advance if you are listening with your child or someone younger that you may not want to hear certain curse words they're not that bad but just in case i'm just warning you in advance just so it's not a shock also Prior to us recording this episode, I put up on my Instagram story, well, I basically asked you if there were any questions or topics specifically that you wanted myself and Tom to cover throughout this episode. Now, there were loads of questions and thanks a million everybody for asking, but this episode kind of went on longer than I had expected because we get into a lot of great topics. But one thing that came up, I think it was about six or seven people had asked questions specifically regarding basal insulin now basal insulin is your background insulin that is your long lasting throughout the day that kind of keeps you ticking over as you go about your day essentially it's massively massively important that you have the correct basal dose to take each day and because a number of you asked roughly the same questions all about basal me and tom get stuck into that We talk about why it's important, how you can calculate your specific doses, and what the best ways are for you to determine your specific numbers. Okay, I'm talking way too much here by myself, so I'll let you get stuck into the episode. Enjoy. Let me know your thoughts. I always appreciate the feedback, so enjoy. Well, Tom, firstly, thanks a million for joining me. I was uh, looking forward to this conversation after we were on your podcast because just like we were briefly chatting about prior to me pressing record here, we were talking about how the best sort of chats are the ones that are just natural. And you are somebody like that. (laughs) For anyone listening, the first question that Tom asked me when he came on here was, can I curse on the podcast? podcast?" (laughs) So Tom, thanks a million for joining me. Hey, uh, mate, it's uh, it's mega to be on yours. We fucking love it. Hey, oh, we're off already. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, any younger audience or parents listening with kids, just bear in mind, <laughs> Tom Tom likes to curse the odd time. So that's your, uh, that's your warning in advance. We're not, we're not, well, we're just over a minute in and we've started already. We've started, mate. We're on it. We're going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. And I think you're right in what you say. I think we noticed from, from the show that we did on mine that it just flows. And it's, I suppose it's easy, easy listening when it just flows, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. And, uh, that's what this podcast is going to be exactly like, yes. but you know, I was looking through your Instagram, obviously this morning, a good bit. I never realized that we were diagnosed basically the same age. I was 19. I think you were 20, were you? Yeah. 21. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So right around the same age. How was that for you? God, it was, well, you know yourself, it's weird when you can remember, even now I'm, I'm 33, like 34 next month. I don't know why I always admit that. <laughs> God. Happy so, birthday in advance. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm sure you'll drop us a message or something on, on Boxing Day it is. But yeah, I think when you're diagnosed around that sort of age, you can kind of remember life before it. But now, like all these, what, 12, 13 years later, it's become the norm. So even though I can remember life before it, it's not like I sit there and go, oh, I remember when I didn't have to count carbs or put insulin in. I could just eat, but I do 
remember some of the things that I was doing when I wasn't, if that makes sense. So it's kind of a weird, weird situation to be in, and opposed to being born with it, I suppose, where you don't know any different at all. And that's very similar to me because I was 19, as I said. So like you, I can remember pre-diabetes and then obviously after it. But I often think that that age, personally, I feel that that age for me was kind of like the sweet spot to be diagnosed Mm. because I was old enough to realize the severity of it. I was old enough to take on the responsibility of what we need to do every day. But I also wasn't so old that I was kind of fully stuck in my ways Mm. and fully set on what I do where you may have slightly found that more difficult to deal with if you were older when you were diagnosed. So did you have a similar sort of mindset around it in terms of you knew what you had to do and you kind of fell into it quite easily? Yeah, I think it was being the age, being like 21, it was kind of, all right, well, this is a bit fucking life-changing. Um, so I was like, right, I'm going to have to find a way to integrate this into my current life. Cause you always like to train. Um, even though I didn't train for about four months cause I was too scared up on being diagnosed, but I'd always like to train. I'd always kind of eaten well and track my food intake and stuff like that. So I was like, right, I'm, I'm just going to have to integrate this and use it as part of, part of my health really. Um, and I suppose around that age as well. My lifestyle was never really going out, drinking every weekend, getting wasted, all that sort of stuff. So I suppose I did kind of have that as an advantage, even though a few years later, that did come. (laughs) I did go for a (laughs) period. As as it Um, does. (laughs) Yeah, Um, because I was working the doors every weekend at the time. I used to be a doorman, so from 18 through till 22, well, about 17 actually through till about 22, I was working the doors every weekend. So I didn't really have that think about like going out every weekend, neglecting it sort of stuff, because I was kind of structured, if that makes sense. So you were kind of in a good routine with your diabetes management when that phase of going out drinking every weekend and <laughs> doing all those kinds of things, you already kind of had a good base of how to look after things. Yeah, yeah, I, I basically, because I was that kind of regimented and, and routine with training, with eating, with my health, I was like, right, I need to slot this in somehow and I need to figure it out. Um, And then obviously through doing that for, I think it was probably like a good few months, maybe six to eight months before I actually went out at the weekend. Um, And then obviously when I fell into a bit of a bad routine going out every single weekend, we're looking at about four or five years after being diagnosed. So we already kind of understood it i'd already had a few drinks and whatever you like around it from being diagnosed so yeah i was kind of already in a routine it wasn't like i was a party animal and i've been diagnosed and i was like shit right i'll sack it i'm just gonna wing it and do whatever i think i need to that makes sense yeah yeah exactly and i think i was much the same to you in i suppose i was at an advantage prior to getting diagnosed because i was looking after my health i was training i was playing sport i I kind of prioritized my my fitness anyway. So mm. diabetes obviously isn't ideal to be diagnosed with, <laughs> no. but it's the sort, <laughs> to say the least, but it's a condition that fits in well to that sort of lifestyle. Yeah, I think it definitely and does. As we both know, routine is such a massive part of managing your diabetes and i know that we briefly spoke of morning routines 
mm-hmm. on your podcast. Yes. <laughs> and I was telling you how I go about my routine and how you go about your routine. And you were saying, I think it was on your Instagram that I saw you had only broken your 20 day streak. I think we're like your morning day, your morning routine. Mm. And that can kind of lead to you falling off track as all of us. Do you try and stick to like a very well structured routine in the morning to set you up nicely for the day with with your diabetes? I do, I'd say, but this has only been, I think I'm on, like with my routine, let me see if I can, I'm going to nip into my Headspace app, my meditation app, and I'm just going to see if it'll tell me (laughs) what, what I'm on, my stats, right, 27 days, so... The thing is, I hit a bit of a like I spoke about on that on um, on my Instagram. I was pretty open with recently what um, the sort of stuff that that I've been going through, and I hit a bit of um, a bit of a low, let's say. So I didn't really have my shit together. Um, business was a bit all over the place. Life, mental health, sort of physical health, in a sense, was a bit all over the place. And I hit kind of a turning point, and I was like, right, I've got two options: I can sit and I can drive myself deeper. Or I can use it. I felt pretty much around like rock bottom, if you like. Um, or I can use this to kind of raise, rise from the ashes, as cliche as that would sound. So I decided, right, I need to get a good morning routine because our day starts in the morning. And I was just getting up, mate. Before, before let's say, 27, 30 days ago, I was just getting up. Um, I'd probably pot around a little bit, have a coffee, um, sit down, try and write a post, or some days I wouldn't even write a post. I just had no structure. And I was like, right, if I'm going to start to show up for myself and turn my life around and take better control of my mental and physical health, um, I need to create a good, solid morning routine. So I was like, right. So I actually went on Amazon and I bought a planner, and it's called the High Performance Planner. And it's a planner, a daily planner, and a journal. So You've got a bit of like morning mindset and then an evening journal and obviously day times and stuff to plan your day out. So I was like, right, I need to do this. I need to start writing shit down Um, and I need to structure my day out. And what else I need to do, which I kind of got from you, is I need to wake up every morning and have a shower and turn it to cold. So I'm nearly on the full cold setting on the cold shower. Nearly there. You started doing it. <laughs> I've started doing it. it. I'm nearly there on the full cold, and I can hack it for about two minutes, but we're not quite fully cold yet. So I decided to slot that in as soon as I get up. Then I decided, right, I've always gone back and forward between med- meditation, you know, mindset and stuff like that, and I've never been consistent with it. So I was like, right, I need to, to get on this, and I need to, you know, start meditating, and I need to, like we said, leave my fucking mobile phone alone until I've done my morning routine. So I've not got that negativity coming in, uh, which was a good thing, which kind of another thing that I'd heard before, but I got off got off you as well when we chatted on my podcast. So I was like, right, I need to change my life around. I need to show up for myself even more. And that's going to start with a morning routine. So I wake up, I have my shower, turn it to cold. Um, I sit down, I open my headspace up. I started with five minutes guided meditation. I'm now on like 10, between 10 and 15. Um, and then I sit down, I do my high performance planner, morning mindset, goals and priorities for the day, plan my day. Um, and that then I actually start my day. Um, well, I've already started my day, but then I start doing what I plan for the day. And that routine has really created more structure in my life. It started to pull me up from when I felt like I was at the bottom. And it started to kind of, I'd say, give me purpose as well. And then from that, 
My day's been more routine. My levels have been more predictable. Yeah, I always have have good controls, you know what I mean, with it being our, our job and stuff. But my levels have been more predictable um, and I've just felt better in myself. So definitely I'd say to anyone listening to this, if you want to improve some area of your life or your glucose control or your health or anything really, it starts in the morning with getting a good morning routine. 100%. And I was just loving listening to you talk that in such detail because from somebody who like my morning routine is so important to me Mm. and I was kind of thrown off a bit recently because the gyms in Ireland closed and I would always get up at the same time go to my hour slot in the gym that would set me up nicely cold shower afterwards read write breakfast work Mm. and that's just it's more so for your headspace. And I know we both use the app Headspace mm. to do that 15 minutes or 10 minutes meditation each day. But it is just starting your day how you want it to continue. And it can be with fitness, it can be with business, and particularly with diabetes management. Because if you start your day right, you're already setting yourself up for good blood sugar management throughout the day, yeah. essentially. Yeah, I- Definitely agree with that. And I think like um, one of the big things that I try and stress out on my socials and that I try and stress to my clients and stuff like that, I'm sure you'd agree, is is mindset as a type 1 diabetic. Now, I've fallen punishment to this in the past many times when I've been through you know, depression, low moods and stuff like that. And I'd say up until about 30 days ago, I was kind of there again um, in, that, in that sort of bad negative mindset. And I think as type 1 diabetics, we get... We've got that much shit going through our mind every single day. And the statistics show we are more prone to to like mental health issues and stuff like that. Um, so I think developing a strong sort of mindset by trying guided meditation or by going on walks. Um, I also love the book. It's called The Daily Stoic. And it's like, I've got it here right now. It's 366 meditation um, meditations on wisdom, perseverance, and the art of living. And I is think, that by Ryan Holiday? Sorry yes, to you. yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Have you read The Obstacle uh, Is the Way? I'm currently listening to that on audiobook. On audio. Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> That's currently, so good. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Go on. I, I interrupted you. Yes, we love it. So I think as a type one diabetic, you, if you're listening to this and you think, "Oh yeah, that's great," and you don't actually go and work on your mindset, you are doing yourself a disservice because mindset is so huge. And I'm a big believer that. Um, our daily actions and our habit habits follow our mindset because let's say for argument's sake if you struggle with glucose control or getting a routine and you're like right i don't need to test more i don't need to count carbs yada yada and all this but then you're still in still in that mindset of telling yourself your story of this is so hard i don't know if i can do this this is going to get the better of me then your actions eventually will follow what you're thinking so that's why i think mindset's so important to kind of rewrite your story if you like you know and it's just important for you to have a strong mind believe in yourself try and take control of this condition and your life at the end of the day and i think it all does start with your mindset and that's why i know me and you are in a we're big on like like you said you know about this book the daily stoic the obstacle in the yeah. way so guided meditation and just being able to show up for yourself each day so you show your actions every day will start to follow what you're thinking in your head. And that's why I think it's so important because it can be so stressful as us as type 1 diabetics. It's so important to develop a strong and resilient mind, I think. Yeah, I love that. And 
you're right to say that me and you are like we put a massive emphasis on the psychological aspect of diabetes mm. as much as the physical aspect because for me it's more a psychological condition than a physical one mm. because if you're not clued into how important it is each day for you to do as you said these small daily actions that you know are going to benefit you and add up over time if you do, if you don't realize how important they really are then you're not going to do them you're not going to do the physical side of things so a massive part of it is taking responsibility of yes of course i need to monitor my blood sugar yes of course i need to take my insulin but the responsibility of changing your mindset around it because the reality of it is nobody wants to be type 1 diabetic but unfortunately we are unfortunately we we are going to live with this for the rest of our lives so we're doing ourselves a disservice if we're in a negative mindset around it because that's not going to change anything and i think that leads me on nicely to a quote from your instagram page that i had to highlight because <clears throat> it really uh it, it really it really kind of set a tone with me. And I think for anyone listening who isn't following Tom on Instagram yet, definitely do. The chap's Instagram page is just pure gold. But, uh, <laughs> Cheers, he, mate. No, I yeah, no, it's class. And you're always offering tips how to manage your blood sugar, increase your time and range, insulin sensitivity. And I think if anybody is newly diagnosed, definitely check out his page because the stuff he gives out is class. But anyway the post that jumped out at me. And I think I actually messaged you when I saw it initially, but it says, earn the right. This is a quote. When I was first diagnosed with type one diabetes 13 years ago, I thought shit would kind of just fall into place. My (laughs) body would naturally settle down or something. Oh, how wrong I was. You see, I had to earn the right to have great control over my blood sugar levels and diabetes management. Just like with anything in life, you get out what you put in. And I think that's so important. Our blood sugar is directly related to the work that we're willing or not willing to put into our management. And is that something that you had to discover in time or had you always realized that this was now your responsibility? I had to discover that in time. And I think um, a big thing is on that like, we're never going to have everything all at once. And I think it's so important to realize that along the way and along your journey in life and as a diabetic, you're going to be constantly discovering stuff. And this is something I had to discover because at first, like I said, I thought, ah, it's all right. Like, it's just going to fall into place. And then as I realized, (laughs) like, shit, I've got to put the fucking work in here. Um, And over the years, still now, like 13, 12, 13 years on, I'm still learning. And it is like any, not just like you say, blood glucose control, but any, anything that you want or that you have in life is a direct correlation of your choices and of the work that you've been willing to or not willing to put in. And that's just the same with glucose control. I know me and you keep a very, very sort of, good glucose control uh we both do and that's because of the work that we've been willing to put in yeah exactly and i think now it's not that if you don't work at all you're gonna have bad management and if you you it can still be the case where 
you work really hard and things still don't necessarily fall into place. And that's how complicated it can be. But that's why it's so important for people to give their diabetes the time that it needs, because this is something that is very complicated, something that is going to make your life harder if you don't look after it. From obviously, I'm working with other diabetics and you're doing the same. What do you think the most common aspect of diabetes is that people struggle with? I'd say mindset is a big one. And I'd say it's mindset towards um, kind of their expectations of their levels. Um, Because I'd say a lot of tight ones come to me and they're like, look, I want to stop the the peaks and the drops. I'm like, all right, all right, cool. Like if you are getting big spikes and you are getting a lot of lows, yeah, there's definitely something that we can work on. But I think it's the understanding out there that, you know what, it's it's natural to get some spikes at times and it's natural to get some lows at times and you need to accept that. And I think acceptance and, and the mindset of that some type ones have around their glucose levels and their diabetes is one of the hardest things to, for them to change and um, the hardest things for them to change because you know what, they could have like the basal rates dialed in, sort of the long-acting long insulin dialed in insulin to carb ratio, eating well, exercising, doing everything that they can. And then sometimes they get a spike or a low and they think, oh, I fucking failed. And it's managing that, if that makes sense. Of course. And that just kind of correlates with staying positive as a whole with the condition because Mm. a massive part of staying positive while living with type 1 diabetes is the fact that you need to realize things aren't always going to be perfect. And even myself, perfect, perfect example. I pride myself, just like you, as being somebody who looks after their diabetes, looks after their blood sugar control and prioritizes it each day. But I had an absolute nightmare the other night. I don't know if you saw it on my Instagram, but basically what happened to me was I was in bed, half asleep. My CGM alarm woke me up and it said I was low. Are you, are, you, are, are, you having, uh, are you having these dreams again about fucking iPhones, mate? <laughs> is, <laughs> no, is, is that what it not is? This time, not this time. Oh, <laughs> I had I had a, a hypo dream recently enough, but this wasn't the dream. This was, this was in real life, unfortunately. <laughs> but my CGM woke me up. It said I was low. I was half asleep. I didn't feel low, but I was like, oh, because I'm half asleep, I just didn't check my finger prick to, du- to double check. Mm-hmm went back to sleep, woke up again from a low alarm. And I was like, hold on a second. I'm definitely not low here. So I checked my finger, pricked my finger. My blood sugar was like 16 and that's about 288 for any American listeners. So I was like, oh my God. So it told me I was low when I wasn't low. I then took loads of insulin, went back to sleep, woke up with a, a genuine low, went down to the kitchen, destroyed the kitchen had about four slices of toast two croissants about seven bounty bars went back to bed and then my blood sugar were you know when it just says hi i can't even get a fucking reading it's (laughs) hello hi yeah it's gone so high that it doesn't even have the number so that that in itself is a perfect example of someone who looks after their diabetes prioritizes it but inevitably, there's still going to be ups and downs. Oh, yes. Always. <laughs> and I think 
so, something that you did recently what was really really cool and i want to hear more about this is you put a cgm on your girlfriend's arm mm-hmm. and i always wondered obviously like and that's what i i say to clients all the time when they have you know a few ups and downs it's natural to see those spikes it's natural to see the small ones it's natural to see the ups and downs even if you weren't diabetic and you were wearing a cgm your blood sugar is going to go up and down slightly yeah so what sort of results did you see from having the cgm on your girlfriend's arm you know what if we've got a few minutes i'm going to actually read out um the the message that she sent me of what she yeah, said because i've not put it out on my podcast yet um uh, for a few few reasons but i'm going to i'm going to read this message out now to anyone listening so we we stuck a libra on her um and we got data and stuff like that but here's what she had to say um, for any, sorry tom just to interrupt you for, for anybody who doesn't know what a libra is it's a libra sensor so it's a continuous glucose monitor it's like a patch that goes on your body monitors your blood sugar at all times so that's what tom put on his girlfriend's arm yeah so this is what she said when i was exercising my blood sugar dropped overnight and my blood sugar settled about five um which is like five moles she says um, my blood glucose was a lot more unsettled, meaning up and down, when I'd been exercising, possibly that my body was more sensitive to insulin. Um, hit workouts or high-intensity interval workouts caused a big spike. This is a person without type 1. High-intensity workouts caused her to spike. And she says, when I wasn't exercising because of isolation, because um, she, she was in isolation because I got COVID and like I had to isolate <laughs> with everyone. Um, we'll get on to that. Yeah. We'll get on to that. <laughs> so she says, um, when I wasn't exercising because of isolation, the low blood glucose stopped completely and the average blood glucose did increase a bit, um, but most meals didn't massively spike her an hour later. Uh, so an hour later, she would see a slow rise, which would go back to normal quite quickly, but nothing major. Then she says, Cocoa Pops with milk has the biggest <laughs> spike. Cocoa Pops with milk has the biggest spike. Um, and she actually said, within about half an hour, and the highest spike she got up to from that was just above nine, just above nine moles, which I've got a little um, conversion here. So this is about 162 milligram per deciliter. Mm. And this is this is obviously a non a non diabetic. So she um, yeah with the cocoa pop she spiked just above nine. She said her <laughs> body seemed to struggle to deal with the high sugar spike in hot chocolate, chocolates, sweets, etc. Then on weekends when she's busy um, and didn't eat anything till the afternoon, her blood glucose showed a steady drop until she actually ate something. So throughout the morning, early afternoon, she actually noticed the drop. Um, not sharp. It wasn't a sharp drop. So a liver was clearly pushing out glucose like it does to keep her going. Um, she says the only time she felt low, um, was when she was walking her horses and doing lots at the farm and had nothing to eat until about 3 PM. So in reality, a blood glucose only went down to four and she felt a little bit low. She said, um, she didn't have great sleep overnight when she was showing low. So there was a direct correlation there between, her having a slightly lower blood glucose and not having great sleep. Um, and she had low readings and arrows down much more regularly than showed on the daily graph um, when she was like testing and scanning. But within five minutes, it always sorted itself out. 
Um, not sure if that was a bad reading or her body fixed it, but that happened most days at least at least once. So yep. essentially what you're saying is pretty much the reactions that we experience, she also experiences, yep. just to a lesser extent. Yeah. She noticed the the spikes after things like cocoa pops and sweets and you know, your higher sugary sort of uh, sort of foods. Um she noticed a uh, slight drops if she wasn't um, eating for hours, um, but then obviously a liver was able to regulate that a little bit. Um, but yeah, the main thing that I wanted to get across to everyone from it was spikes, the natural to happen. Yeah, I think that's something that people struggle to, to understand at times because you can be under the impression that if you don't have diabetes, your blood sugar is just going to be flatlined throughout the day, regardless of what you do. Mm. And you and your girlfriend have proved that that is just not the case. We see similar reactions. She sees spikes. She sees drops just to a lesser extent. So you're still going to have those waves, even if you don't have type 1 diabetes, basically. Yeah, exactly. Now, Tom, you dropped in quite casually there that you were diagnosed <laughs> with COVID-19. And that's definitely something I wanted to speak to you about. And I, I love how you just said it as if it was nothing. But <laughs> tell me a bit about that. How did that happen? So this was about, it be about four or five weeks ago. So what it was, you know when it was? It was when we were recording your podcast because I think you text me again very casually and you were like... <laughs> What's up, mate? I've just been diagnosed with COVID nineteen. <laughs> I was like, "Do you want to postpone the podcast?" And you, you said, "Nah, nah, it's okay." I was like, "All right, yeah, God, yeah." So basically, on the Friday, I started to get a bit of a tickly throat. I think this was like a week before we did my show, so I started to get a bit of a tickly throat, like a cough and stuff. Um, and I actually went down to to my my girlfriend at, at the time, like her. Her house in in um, down south, it kind of was. So on the Friday, I was down there. Um, I'd driven down there. Um, on the Saturday, I was all right. I felt all right. Went out on my bike because I'm a pretty keen cyclist. I went out on my bike on the Saturday, did about two hours, come back, felt sweet. On the Sunday, I went out, did about 90 minutes, come back, felt like utter shit. I literally felt like, you know when you know you're getting ill and your whole body hurts and aches and you're like, shit, man, I'm defo getting ill here. Like there's something mm. going on. I felt like that. So um, the Sunday night, um, we ended up going around to one of her friend's house, which was obviously we didn't know at the time um, that I tested positive. We thought because I had a bit of a snotty nose and it was like phlegmy sort of thing that it wasn't COVID. Um, But I I wasn't too sure. But we ended up going around to one of her friend's house, having some food, coming back, uh, which was a big mistake, but we didn't really know at the time. So... um, (laughs) <laughs> Sunday night, we're in bed and I'm shaking like a shitting dog. I'm shivering like crazy, mate. Um, but she was like, you're right, you're burning up. I was like, I'm so fucking cold. And I literally had to get out of bed, put my hoodie on, put my joggers on and get back in bed. And I was still felt cold. And she was like, "Like you feel really, you're burning up. So I tested my, um, my temperature, but it was fine. It was like 36, which I think is the average sort of thing. It was fine. I was mm. like, no, I'm not having it. There's definitely something not right with me. I can feel it. Um, and rightly so with me, like shaking and feeling cold, but being hot. So it definitely had some some summit going on, even though the thermometer didn't tell me. Um, <laughs> so this was a Sunday night. 
on the Monday, I was like, right, I'm going getting a test. So I went, luckily, there was a test station right near her house. So I went and got the test. Um, and if anyone's ever had the COVID test, you know, it's not very fucking nice. A big thing down the back of your throat, which isn't too bad. And then they put it up your nose. Now, the one up your nose is horrible. And this woman was like, they count down from 10 and she's like, gets to three. And I'm like, <laughs> nearly going to sneeze. She pulls it out <laughs> after one and I sneeze, but just miss her. So that wasn't <laughs> nice. That's was the second test that I had done. The very first one I had a few months ago was negative. So anyway, this was the Monday morning. On the Monday evening... I get a message. My phone, my phone was upstairs. So I went upstairs, had a look. An NHS here in the UK, and it was like, you tested positive for COVID. And I was like, I fucking knew it. I, I kind of, you know, when you just get a feeling, mm. just get a feeling. So I said to my girlfriend at the time in a housemate, um, I shouted down, hey, guess what? They went, what? I said, I've tested positive. <laughs> and, and they went, you fucking joking. I was like, no, I'm not. But look, they was like, oh, shit. So... <laughs> Basically, like she had to message the friends who we'd been round to, um, everyone who'd been round to the house. I had to get in touch with my mum and dad because on the Thursday, the week before, I was back home. Um, and my mum and dad aren't in the, the greatest health, really. So they had to self isolate. Um, I had to self isolate for a couple of weeks. Girlfriend at the time and a housemate had to self isolate. And then everyone who we, we'd been in contact with, we had to message and self isolate. Um, but yeah, in terms of how I was feeling, Monday wasn't too bad. Tuesday, I felt so ill and my blood glucose levels represented that as well. I was having to run a 150% increase in my basal rate on my pump. And I was oh, literally, God. I was literally, I remember I went, I was seeing my levels rising and I was literally rage bolusing to fuck. I remember I had about 30 units of rapid acting insulin on board at one point and I dragged myself to go out for a walk and I still only dropped pretty low that I managed to sort out with a handful of jelly babies. Because it's like my insulin just just wasn't working. So I felt like shit from the high, shit from the COVID on the Tuesday. On the Wednesday, it was kind of like coming in dribs and drabs. So you'd have the moments where I felt all right. And then the moments where I felt really bad. Thursday, I started to be pretty much back to normal, but my taste and smell went. And then Friday, I think is when we did my podcast, I was all right. Started to feel all right then. Um, but yeah, in terms of my levels, I was worried, mate, really, because... I was down there and I didn't live down there and I had no ketone testing machine and I tried to ring the doctors, the emergency line and all that. And I just I couldn't get hold of one at all. And by the time anything could have got sorted out, I felt pretty recovered. So I was worried because it's a new condition and I don't, we don't know. It's not been around long enough what it, what it actually does. Obviously it impacted my insulin because it's like it wasn't working, but so does obviously a lot of illness and stuff. But I was just worried because like it's new, like, what's going to happen. All I could do is like treat it there and then sort of thing. So it, I was more scared that I couldn't test for ketones um, in opposed to, to sort of anything else. But it was, I think it was a scary situation. Um, but I don't know why I just, I wasn't super blase about it. I Obviously I used it for like I'm chatting now, I used it for content and just to let, let people know, Hey, like if your blood glucose is is well managed, you got a very good chance, like me, of fighting it off. Well, that's it, and I think a lot of people had been under the impression that if you get COVID as a type one diabetic, it's almost like a death sentence mm. because all you hear is high risk, high risk, high risk. How it affects us, you know, underlying health conditions are high risk, mm. and the 
the threat and the worry is almost pumped into you. So yeah, it's good to hear that you recovered, obviously, and it's very reassuring. <laughs> Personally, it's good to hear, it, but it's very reassuring for another diabetic out there to know that, okay, look, Tom had it. He's fine, <laughs> you know, yeah. big time. But you were taking 30 units of fast-acting insulin and your blood sugar was still staying yeah. relatively high. Yeah. So I had a 150% increase on my basal rate and over wasn't all at once it was kind of like i'd put probably like six six or nine units in to try and correct and i was watching my my um libra still go up from 15 up to 16 up to 18 up to 20 and i was like oh fuck this and i just ended up going out on a walk still bolusing but all in all at one point i would have had about 30 units of insulin like active um that i put in probably over the space of an hour because I ended up going into that, what we always say, don't do rage bolus. You see the numbers going up, you're like fuck. But I was worried because I didn't know, I didn't know what was actually going to happen because it was a new, it's a new condition. You don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose it just goes to show you how much glucose is naturally being pumped into your body to fight off these sort of sicknesses and illnesses. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even when you get a flu or a cold, because your body is pumping adrenaline through your veins pumping glucose out to try and fight that off of course your blood sugar is going to be affected your insulin resistance is going to be massive and from somebody who always talks about insulin sensitivity you've great management of your blood sugars to hear you taking 30 units of fast acting that's so much mm. Mm, it was what? crazy you're here to tell the tale tom yes i, I survived <laughs> i'm here I'm, I'm here still kicking yeah, exactly. diabetes balls it's fine We're all right. yeah, just, here here for another day yes at least there's one thing um i did notice from it though so about two weeks after being all right i tried to get back to working out so like i say i'm a keen cyclist and First workout was the bike on the turbo trainer on the app like zwift I ended up doing that like a structured session and oh my fucking god <laughs> oh my god mate honestly as soon as my heart rate got up i thought my lungs were dying i thought my lungs were dying i felt like i was bleeding like my lungs literally it was so hard so hard and even recently some of the, the rides that i've been out on i've struggled a little bit so it's really we don't know because it's not been around for long enough but the back end of it in terms of how it affects your uh, respiratory system, like your breathing and stuff like that. Um, we don't know much about it, but it's obviously had a back-end kick into my sort of uh, aerobic capacity and the way that I exercise and stuff. I really did feel that. So even though I felt all right in terms of illness, when I got back on the bike, I was like, shit. Like, it just took so much out of me. Wow. Yeah, it just goes to show we don't know enough about it long term to see the effects and how we'll we'll be impacted by it. Have you noticed any difference in terms of your insulin needs or requirements now as a result, or has that kind of gone back to the way it always has been? It's kind of gone back to um, how it always sort of has been. Well, my routines changed a little bit. Um, as like, you know, we're always changing our routines. So it's kind of gone back to what it was like before. But I will say, it wasn't just a case of, right, 150% increase in basal. And then when I was all right, just drop it back to 100, normalize again. It was more like I increased up to 120, didn't really do much, increased up to 130, did a little bit more. And then I was like, right, straight to 150. And then it was also a pyramid down as well over the course of a few days. Um, actually, probably over the course of a week, mate. 
it was a pyramid down till I got right down to my normal rate. And over the course of pyramid it down, I was still having to do some corrections throughout the day. So I was still getting random spikes and fluctuations that I was having to correct with boluses and stuff. So it was like, it kind of come in and my levels started to represent it faster than what it started to go out, if that makes sense. Yeah, big time. Well, it just goes to show you how, even, well, not even with COVID, but it just shows that everything that happens to us and everything that we do is always going to be more complicated living with type 1, 100%. Yeah. So prior to this episode today, Tom, I asked people on Instagram if there was anything they wanted us to cover or any questions they had for you or any aspects (laughs) of diabetes, particularly that they wanted to hear us talk about. And I got a few of questions about basal insulin. And obviously, we both know the importance of basal insulin because that is your background insulin. Yes, yes. That's what keeps you anchored down throughout the day. So... Basically, the question was how basal insulin should work during the day. Hmm. Should we dive into it? <laughs> we'll have to keep it quite brief because yeah. I, feel me and you could, I feel me and you could talk for hours and these episodes oh, are supposed to be kind yeah. of short. Keep, keep people interested, but I, we could talk for hours. But yes, yeah. let's, let's dive so in. So I always say it like this. Yeah, I know you love a good fucking analogy, mate. So... Uh, You've got to think of your basal <laughs> insulin like the foundations of a house. You need to get that stable and right before you start layering on your rapid acting, exercise, that sort of stuff. And the way it should work is it should represent a little bit of trickling insulin like in a non-type type 1 diabetic throughout the day. But you see, the thing is, what a lot of people seem to get wrong is your, your levels just aren't the same throughout the day. So what what we tend to find, and more often than not working with clients, is we are less insulin sensitive in the morning, we get more insulin sensitive as the evening goes on, and then throughout the night, we get less insulin sensitive again. So if you think of it kind of like um, a drop, and then sort of a spike up, and then another drop, um, and this is just due to like hormones and stuff, so it's never just like you take one one sort of amount and then that's it. You're done. It's always tweaking. So this is why I have a pump. So I take my most amount of sort of my highest basal rate is between the hours of midnight and seven in the morning. Because for me, that's when my body's trying to push out the most glucose. So I need that extra insulin to keep it down. And then as the day goes on, my basal rate starts to decrease, if that makes sense. So that's that's on a pump. Um, pens is a little bit different. I know you're on MDI, aren't you? Yeah, I've always been on pens. Yeah. So it's obviously slightly different to being on a pump. Have you always been on a pump since your diagnosis or did you change over to a pump from pens? I changed over to a pump from pens. So when I was first diagnosed, I was on MDI and I was on Lantus, so insulin glargine for the basal and Nova Rapid. And then what was happening with me is I get dawn phenomenon, like I just said, on a pump now. I, I have my most amount of insulin from like midnight through to about, what, six in the morning, six, seven in the morning. Mm. So when I was on pens on a, on the Glargine, uh, the Lantus, I was managing to get that stable, but then throughout the day, I'd have a lot of hypos. And then if I was dialing it down so I didn't have a lot of hypos throughout the day, I would get the dawn phenomenon and, and wake up high. So what I did is I tried to set out on a little mission to get an insulin pump. And they said, right, you need to go and receive it as, as your long acting, as your background mm. insulin. So I was like, right, sweet, I'll try that. 
but kind of the same thing happened. Uh, so I was like, right. And then by that time, I just managed to like dig my heels in and get an insulin pump for that very reason. Um, that's why I wanted one to sort sort those that that basal insulin out. If that makes sense. So, do you think you would ever go back to pens? I suppose that's that's the most asked question I get is why don't I use a pump or why do you use insulin pens? A lot of diabetes management tech in types of insulin or whatever we use to manage our diabetes, it all comes down to personal preference. Mm. Well, vast majority of the time. Mm. I know I would keep things level with with a pump, but I keep things level with a pen. And yeah. personally, I much prefer using pens. Yeah. So it's not like one is good and the other is bad. It comes down to your routine, your daily activity, how comfortable and confident you feel using these types of tech. But I actually, again, going back to your Instagram, I think you even said that was one of the most asked questions you've had too. Mm. Why a pump? Why not pens or vice versa? Yeah, you're definitely right in that. And like, it is a personal preference. And you know what, mate? You know what I'm very tempted to do? Now, I actually toyed around with this idea a few um, a few months ago. I'm tempted to go back on pens for a little test for a few weeks. I might just do that, you know. It's going back into the jungle. I might just... <laughs> I'm coming for you, son. We're there. Yeah. <laughs> I might, I might you know just do should, that. What we should do, what would be cool to see the results as well. And I was talking to Catherine Brady, another diabetic friend I have, yeah. about doing something similar to this. To see the effects of a pump and insulin pens, mm. but do the exact same thing throughout the week, train the same way, yeah. eat the same food, sleep the same times. Yeah. That'd be cool to see. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna do a little test. I'm gonna I'm gonna ring up my doctors and I'm gonna get some pens and probably from next week I'm gonna go on and do a little test. So I'll post that over my socials as well and I'll keep you updated with what yeah, happens. Definitely. Yeah. But I'd say for me yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm going to try this little test. But what I might consider doing is getting some Levermere. Um, and I don't know, what, what background are you on? I'm on Lantus. I've Lantus. always been on right. Lantus. Right. So, yeah, the, the, the Glargine, isn't it? So I think I've still mm. got some pens of that. It's probably out of date, though. Kids, don't take it to the door. <laughs> Kids, don't. We're not promoting out of date insulin. Don't do no, it. No, no don't. Um, don't do anything these days. This, this, is just, this is only from our own personal experience. Yeah. Do not do what we tell you to do. Oh, God. Oh, but, but, no, just that you speak about analogies, I, I suppose, similar to yours with the the foundations of a house i view your basal insulin like an anchor of a boat mm. you know and the anchor is going to keep you somewhat steady even though the boat's going to rock up and down up and down up and down yeah so your your bolus is kind of like the fine tuning yeah and then the base and the core of everything is your basal and i think a lot of people can come can come across issues with their basal dose but I suppose not even realize it. They could be having ups and downs, ups and downs, or more lows, more highs, and not be aware of the fact that this could be an issue with their basal insulin. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are taking certain amounts of insulin, obviously because they've been told, but they don't understand why they're taking those amounts. Mm. And they don't understand how they can adjust them themselves to benefit their management throughout the day. And I think... 
me and you have a similar sort of idea in that we have to be our own doctor in a sense. Mm. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to what your doctors say. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is the vast majority of the responsibility of the condition and living with type 1 diabetes comes down to us. Every single day comes down to us. What are we doing every day that's going to benefit our management? If our insulin requirements change, it's likely that that will happen. But we may only see our doctor every six months, every year. So we need to educate ourselves like we've been talking about previously and understand that, look, we have the power to make these sorts of changes that work for our own health, that are in our best interests. And I think that's why it's so important for people to build confidence around their diabetes management to be able to make these sort of changes. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree with that. Like, Especially when, when we're diagnosed, we always get sent off, right, try this amount, try that amount. And then we only get to see like DSNs, endos or what have you, like maybe what for 30 minutes or an hour every month for every few months and there's so mm. much of a time around that that you've got to kind of just build confidence in making small tweaks and getting data and knowing where you're going with it and educating yourself and you're right like what you say about like the basal insulin and stuff i'll be honest with everyone like as soon as i start to work with a client that is the first thing that we look at because that's underpinning everything that we we layer on in terms of managing the glucose levels after that yeah it is that base and i think to have a good understanding of even how to calculate that it's important mm. so do you use the rule of 500 for bolus rule of 1800 for a correction dose and what is it 0 0.55 by your weight in kilograms for total daily insulin mm. So that's just coming off on my head. So <laughs> you're thinking, no, I've not used any of them. So with myself oh. personally, years in well, when I was diagnosed 12, 13 years ago, I was told given a certain amount, and then I just kept an eye on my numbers, self-educated a mm. little bit and got other bits of information, and then made tweaks along there. When I went on to a pump, um, I just did the fasting basal rate test and kind of made tweaks along there. And I'm still tweaking stuff to this day. Um mm. and then there's one thing that I do with clients because when people like come to us to work with us, they've already got some sort of baseline levels there. And we just mm. like helping from telling them what data to look at, um, you know, making small adjustments, fine tuning and stuff. And then I think a good thing that I've always found with myself as well, for like, say, for example, testing insulin to carb, is I would personally, I stuck with one to 10, one unit of insulin per 10 grams of carbs. I give that and I have a very basic meal. So it might be like, a sandwich with 30 grams of carbs, 20 grams of protein, five grams of fat or something that I know is just going to be released sort of there. And then it's not going to linger around, not too much fat, dead basic. And I injected three units when I was testing my insulin to carb ratio. Check my levels two hours after, three hours after. If I was in range, cool, I've got it right. If I dropped too low, I've given too much. If I spiked and didn't come back down, I've not given up. And that's the most simple and effective way that I've tested myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And every day that you live it's just trial and error yes and obviously how you had been testing there initially it's just trial and error trial and error trial and error if my blood sugar is high after this meal i didn't take enough insulin if my blood sugar is low i took too much mm. essentially that's what it is it's all about trial and error tweaking things as you go and making the adjustments necessary each day that's 
suppose a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah no, it definitely is because I think some some type ones are under the misconception that they get all these rates dialed in and then that's it. You don't need to touch it. But no, you're always going to be tweaking and fine-tuning because even we are. like The best of us do that. And you know what? That's what makes a well-controlled diabetic is you're getting data and you're making small tweaks each and every single day. You need to just constantly be analyzing your day, constantly be analyzing your levels, constantly be analyzing how you react to food, exercise, stress. I will rarely take the same, the exact same amount of insulin every day Yeah, because my routine generally is the same, but I might be more stressed. I might be doing different types of exercise. I might be eating different types of food. As my day changes, inevitably, my insulin requirements are going to change. And that's why it's important to have that baseline of knowledge to know when and how to tweak things that you need to tweak. Yeah. But just while we're talking about basal, a good calculation to understand your own basal rates. Now, if you're trying this at home, I'm not telling, this is me not I'm not telling you to take this amount. I'm just saying this is how you can roughly calculate to see if you're in and around what your body may require. But this is definitely not exactly what you should be taking. But basically, and a good standard accurate way to calculate your basal is to multiply your body weight in kilograms by 0.55. So when you get that answer, your basal rate is 40 to 50% of that. So your weight multiplied by 0.55 is equal to your total daily insulin requirements. And then 40 to 50% of that should be in and around your basal requirements. You know what? I've just done that while she said it. So, and that brings me out to about 24.5. And you know what my basal rate over a 24-hour period is? Because I'm on a pump. And I don't just put one one bolus in, but you know what my basal rate over a twenty four hour period is? Let me guess, twenty six. So <laughs> <laughs> we're fucking winning. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that's a good way. That's a good way to calculate it. Yeah. Of course, it's not going to be exact, but it's going to be in and around what you need. Gives you a good so start. If, yeah, if you're kind of clueless about what your basal should be or how you should calculate it. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. And then things get a but whole lot feel... more tricky when you go onto a pump and you can program it every fucking hour. But that, that, that's a <laughs> yeah, chat exactly. for another, another day. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Look, we could talk for the whole day. Oh, I feel, yeah. but I, maybe people are getting sick of listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> These episodes are usually about 30, 30, 35 minutes. <laughs> so I'll let you go shortly. I just want to ask you one more question because I always like to finish my podcast with this question. Yes. You've you've probably already answered it 10 times over. But, Tom, if you could thank diabetes for something, what would that be? Oh, oh, there's so many, so much stuff I could thank it for. But I would say the biggest thing I would thank diabetes for is allowing me to help and change the lives of other type 1 diabetics because as a coach yeah these you know these coaches out there that coach people for fat loss or stuff like that and yeah that's rewarding but as a coach for a type 1 to see that i'm able kind of like um, i suppose this is a bit selfish but to see that i'm able to take 
take someone on, they come to me and they're struggling with their health or the levels, and then them to turn around when they finish with me and say, Tom, you fucking changed my life. I'm no long, longer worried about these health complications. And that, as I'm sure you know yourself, mate, I would have never been able to do if I, if I wasn't a type one and if I didn't get it. And that is so, so rewarding on so many different levels to know that you can impact the life of other people. And especially with being a type one myself, we know how stressful it can be. So if I can just take the stress off someone, even just a little bit, even if it's free, like my socials or just some content, that's so rewarding. So I would say thank you to the, the type one diabetic gods for blessing, <laughs> for, for blessing me with this ability to impact and change the lives of other type one diabetics. Absolutely. I love that. It, and I'm, I'm right there with you. It's a different sort of reward. It's a different sort of, it's just, it's a strange feeling, but an amazing feeling. It's so when, hard to describe it. It's oh, so hard. Yeah. When somebody says, as you say, you have changed my life or my blood sugars have never been like this before. Yeah. I'm now fully in control. That's why we do what we do, Tom. And it was beautifully put. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Firstly, before you, well, lastly, before you go, <laughs> firstly, where can people find you and how can they get in touch? Yes. So you can get me on Instagram where probably most active It's at type one underscore Tom. Um, I put out a load of free content on there. I'm always on my stories and stuff. Um, you can catch me on Facebook. Personal page is Tom Allison. That's double L. ISON. I've also got like a business page, but I'm not too active on there. That's just type one, Tom. Um, and then you can always, if you ever wanted to drop me an email, it's tom at type1tom.co.uk. And as we mentioned before, my podcast, the Type One Movement podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. It's pretty much, I'm all over the place on that. I'm all over the place. Everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Yeah, but the, the Type One <laughs> Movement podcast. But hey, Mate, I absolutely love chatting to you. We've had an absolute blast again. I fucking love it. It's been mega. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was mega. a pleasure. I was, I was looking forward to this chat. I knew it would be, uh, <laughs> it would be a good laugh. So yes. <laughs> Listen, pleasure, Tom. Have a good weekend, and I will chat to you soon, all right? You too. Thanks very much, bud. Have a mega weekend. Right. Speak to you later. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Didn't I tell you you'd enjoy that episode? What a guest. What a man. What a diabetic. <laughs> Thanks again, Tom, for coming on. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. And I have to say, even for myself, when I do these episodes and I and I speak to the guests that we have on that are so passionate about diabetes, and obviously I'm so passionate about diabetes too, but it just makes you feel good about managing your own condition because you understand that, look, I'm not the only person with this thing. And then you speak to people like Tom and you hear from people like Tom and it's just like, oh my God, they struggle with things too. They struggle with blood sugars too. They struggle with their mindset too. But they're so passionate and it kind of gives you that feeling of, let's get stuck into it. (laughs) So it's great. And like I just said at the end, definitely, definitely give Tom a follow on Instagram and Facebook and listen to his podcast. He gives out really valuable content. You'll learn a lot from him. And he's just, as I said earlier, a great, great guy to follow. So unfortunately, it's the end of Diabetes Awareness Month. 
Now, if you live with diabetes, every day is Diabetes Awareness Day. So don't be sad that Diabetes Awareness Month is over because just like me, you get to live with this condition for the rest of your life. Yes. Can't wait. Anyway, one more t-shirt to give away. Who could be the winner of the hypoglycemia t-shirt? I don't have Graham here to give me a drum roll. So I need to do a drum roll with one hand. Who could the winner be? It is Column Tracy. You are the winner of the hypoglycemia t-shirt. Congratulations, Column. Thank you for joining or thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope you are learning and getting a lot of value from the podcast. So thank you again. I will send that t-shirt out to you and I will be with you shortly. Here we are, the end. Thank you everybody, as always, for listening. Really appreciate you taking the time. I hope you are getting a lot of value from this podcast. From what I'm hearing from a lot of you, you are, it means a lot to me. So keep those messages coming. Greatly appreciate it. I also saw that Spotify had released those charts. I think they do it annually, but there have been loads of people tagging me on Instagram because the Insulone podcast is their most listened to podcast. Means the world to me. I'm delighted you're enjoying the podcast. Keep listening. Plenty more to come. Have a class day and a class week. Chat soon.